You're listening to the Green Majority Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you are able to support us, please do visit patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. We could really use your help. It will help us get the word out about our show and continue to improve besides uh, occasionally buying us a bag of cookies for our good work. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm in studio today with uh, Stefan Hostetter and Deirdre Leonada. Did I get it? Oh, I'm so close. Correct me. So close. Deirdre Leonada. <laughs> One of these weeks I'll get it, Deirdre. One of these weeks. So uh, we're going to get right down to it. To, uh, this week I absolutely drowned my co-hosts with news links. There's a ton of stuff going on, and that's not even including... Of course, all the other world-breaking news and and things that uh, we would love to talk about if we had a 12-hour show. But we will leave the professional pundits to talk about the other news and get on with our urgent environment news for now. Although, stay tuned for the bonus show, possibly for some comments on other things. But without any other distraction, let's get right down to it. we got a lot. Stefan, what's going on? Yeah, thank you, Darren. Uh, So so this is one of those stories that we come across uh, our desk every once in a while, which is when you read it, it could have been, you know... It could be the, the the formation of a long think piece, but we've been talking about it so many times that I, I feel like it'd just be boring for our listeners to hear us go through the entire the, the entire thing all over again. Uh, so we've so we've so we've looked. I've gone. I've done some extra digging and actually trying to try to find some other other pieces to make this all interesting. Uh, and, and what we're ref, what we're referencing is an internal memo to the deputy minister of finance, uh, which basically showed that. Uh, that, that, that the capacity, the amount of excess capacity uh, that exists uh, within our pipelines currently um, basically means that we don't need any more pipelines, at least until 2025. Is the is the is this is this memo that was sent to the deputy minister of finance um, that our current capacity is 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 relatively good enough? It, 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 the, the amount it would save uh, or or be able to lower the the, the cost per barrel uh, is 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 minute. Uh, and so, and so, argue, the argument basically is it's not really worth it. So you can take your time and chill. Is sort of the uh, is sort of the response um, to the to the Trudeau government. Uh, and it was it was post, it was I, I always find I'm always interested in, in the in the in the news stories we cover that we get the news links from things like the finance department, like the, the the finance section. Whenever the finance section is the is the is the piece that we're getting news from, I'm always interested in those stories. Well, it's it's funny. It's like because they they figure that they'll hide it where no one will read it. I think. Well, but also, but also I think it, it, it is I'm that kidding. yeah. But, but I think more so is that it's that it it's deemed not interesting to anyone unless you're following that kind of thing. Right. You know, it's not deemed interesting unless you are really going to be, you know, trading in oil futures. Uh, and so that's who you should be paying attention to this. Uh, but of course, we've been sort of going on and harping on this case for a while. We've been, we've been. I even think like two weeks ago, we had a whole, we had a whole rant uh, about about how the price of oil is not is that doesn't make any sense right now. Two weeks ago, four weeks ago, exactly, five weeks ago. exactly. So what I tried to do to actually get, get us some more interesting facts on this uh, was I tried to look into uh, in, into sort of the other things about. Uh, the, the price of oil and and and, wh- and when Canada should be considering the value of the price of oil, 
And, and it comes with a couple different articles. The first is an anal- analysis from uh, Deloitte, uh, which says that basically oil is trading around $44 this year. Uh, in their arguments, it would climb to $55 uh, per barrel uh, in the United States currency uh, by 2018, $7 a barrel by 2020, and $80 a barrel by 2022. Um, but that's what's interesting about this is, it, is the report was called Cautiously Optimistic. Um, uh, to the possibility of increased oil price, uh, saying that, and this is a quote, globally, demand continues to lag supply, uh, but the renewed OPEC production freeze talks and recent boosts in crude imports to Asia offer positive signs that this surplus is beginning to shrink. And what's interesting about this is that those, this was a report a couple months ago, and those OPEC production freeze talks fell through. They did not happen, uh, or they did not succeed. Uh, which means that the price of oil is going that, that that at least that one piece of the increase decrease to increase the price of oil is actually not currently happening, uh, and so and the second part of course is the the recent boosts in crude imports to Asia, uh, which is I think the bigger part. I think whenever oil companies or oil a- executives come out and say things like this is going to like oil production will not will not steady will increase for the foreseeable future, they're really relying on emerging markets of like China and India just to. to to, to share the brunt of that increased oil use, and and so what's and so the other part of this is how much money uh, the Canadian like basically it's very expensive or quite expensive to be to 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 refine or not to refine oil to, to the oil basically comes out of Canada has to have a pretty high cost, and so I was looking into that uh, and basically Canada crude breaks even point around thirty five to forty dollars a barrel, uh, which is about close to two times what you get out of you know the really really great wells in Saudi Arabia their their break even point is around $20 um, but so, so so what that means is basically right now per barrel Canada is making approximately 4 bucks a barrel uh, compared to where, at the peak of oil production and oil expansion, uh, you were looking at hundred dollar barrel oil. So they, you know they're, they're making in, in, incredible amounts of money, which is part, part why you see actually the decrease in production. And just to be clear on that four dollars stuff, and do you mean four dollars like Canada, like Canadian taxpayers not getting four dollars oh, no. a barrel? No, 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 are, no, no. These are quote unquote Canadian companies making four dollars. Well, yeah, these are the, these are oil sands companies. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now they're not even quote unquote Canadian. You know, half yeah. them are owned by you know, by outside yeah. outside organizations. And, so, and has been pointed out to me by trolls on Twitter before. Yes, some of them are entirely owned by Canadians. Very few and those ones suck too. Yeah, like it's not a it's not an important piece of this uh, uh of the equation uh who like whether or not it's a Canadian company who owns this in the end doesn't change the royalties they're paying to Alberta. doesn't change the taxes that are going that way. It also has no impact whatsoever on the price of gas we pay here in Canada. Yes. If I have to say that every week for the next 10 years, I will. The, pre- <laughs> the amount of oil that we export in Canada has basically zero impact. Oh, has that zero oil does not, not basically it has zero impact. Well, in the sense that it th- you're put, throwing pennies on a pile, on a Scrooge McDuck-sized <laughs> pile of pennies, of which an average is taken. So, I mean, to the, to the millionths of a cent, yes, it does. Sure, but, but of course, the funny thing about that, of course, is that when it's the cheapest possible like it is currently, right. what we're actually seeing, like, you know, this, like, these are people describing the amount of oil we have as a glut. Like we currently have way more oil and finding more oil than we are fu- that we're using at this current moment, mm-hmm. and we're still expanding to try to find more production, um, which makes which is all to put into contrast this entire conversation about pipelines. Right, that's the whole point of this is that we're in this scenario where we're having this conversation about whether or not we should build this pipeline or that pipeline and how and where we should do it. While while that doesn't isn't isn't is obviously not causing any actual impact. 
uh, isn't actually or is, is is devoid of the current reality we live in. I guess is more accurate. Yeah. Uh, the current reality we live in is that you know per barrel of oil we're making almost no money. Uh, and, and the only reason they're still doing it pro- is because infrastructure already exists. Yeah. Almost, you know, ex- more and more and more of these of these of these uh, oil production wells that are being built the, around the rest of the oil sands are being shut down uh, because they're or are being canceled, not being built because of the fact these facts. Uh, and yet we're still having this conversation like like pipelines are going to change things. Yeah. Now, like Stefan, uh, you know, a reasonable person might say to you. In fact, some of, some listener may maybe maybe listen to you right now and saying, "Well, Stefan, come on now." Come on now, you silly, crazy lefty. Uh, if that were true, why would they be building pipelines? Right. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing, right, is, is that, that the idea is that it will, you'll still be making – that they're being built on the idea that it, the oil will go back up. Yeah, right? it'll, they're it, being built on the idea that oil prices will return. That's the whole idea. On, on that, and I think there's one more other important point. But you know what? I'll, I'll go second. Deirdre, go ahead. Um, no, what I found interesting was the fact that um, that article said that – Oil companies sometimes relied on the low oil prices to kind of drive the market um, and end up raising the price. But um, because we're moving towards an economy that doesn't rely on oil, that probably won't happen. And I think that we're probably – those companies are pushing these pipelines just kind of out of principle because mm. the argument has gone on for so long now that – they kind of can't lose. You know? <laughs> the ref- yeah, it would because just look really bad. No, I, w- I would actually. I was going to say an interesting point. I was going to say something similar, uh, similar, but I would actually go farther uh, because if if you get the Canadian government to buy into a policy of building pipelines, whether or not they're necessary, what you're doing is you're putting the Canadian government in the position to have to defend those pipelines, which yeah. means that you're taking money away from renewable energy projects. So the, every dollar they can get approved to be spent, and every every piece of land that can be partitioned, every deal that can be struck, mm-hmm. every uh, you know union pipeline company that can be that can be brought on board because they're going to get money are all people who are now going to help them fight against renewable energy. And that's where the buck stops. It, they, they don't need it, but they're not going to lose money. They're just not going to make any money. What they are going to do is screw over every competitor by getting Canada as a country federally to buy into pipelines. And that is the end game. This has nothing to do with dollars and cents. In the short term, profit per oil, this has everything to do with setting Canadian for, uh, federal policy going forward. Oh, that's a, I think I, I might not go as far as saying uh, the goal is to kill renewable energy, but I do think it's a very interesting that both of you sort of well, touched so on. May, let me let me replace that with suppress. All right, fair enough. Uh, but but I, I think what both of you are touching on, which I think actually is a very fascinating piece of this, is that oil companies see each lost pipeline as a as a buffer to the to the to their loss of social contract. They they for so long the oil companies had. In unlimited social contract, they could do whatever they want. They had all this power, uh, and this is. And each time they lose one of these pipeline battles, it is it is proof that they're losing that. And I think they need a win. I think mm-hmm. quite honestly, I think the oil companies are seeing this as they need a win to prove that they're still relevant. And because if they can't get any pipelines built, it's further and further po- proof that they are no longer, or they're they're slowly becoming irrelevant. Yeah, you and- know how they could be relevant. <laughs> by switching from oil companies to energy companies and pioneering the new renewable market. Yeah. yeah. It might actually be cheaper and better for Canada just to build the pipelines and then flush a whole bunch of money down them and just throw that at the U.S. It might actually be cheaper. Yeah, exactly. There's there's, there's, yeah, there's this so much um, about this. That's, uh, so much of it is gets stuck to, I think, the, the way people are thinking about this entire endeavor. And I think I think Deirdre's right that when, you, when we're seeing some oil companies actually doing that uh, – 
creating some of that shift, and that ends up being the, the, the most profitable piece of their arm. And yet th- they still get stuck in this idea that they have to go back to this what they understand the bread and butter because there's this, such an old stock Canadian sort of belief. Uh, to steal another Stephen Harper line for for my nefarious purposes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but and this carries on to the next story, uh, which uh, which is again also has to do with pipelines, uh, and it has to do with a. Uh, and, uh, this this one uh, annoys me a little bit, uh, but it's an iPolitics article uh, the, for the case for refining bitumen in Canada. Uh, and basically, it's trying to make the case that and, – and, and it's true that, that – it does seem that this is – half of this is at least true uh, – that – the, that the Green Party of Canada uh, and and also at least at least one indigenous uh, one one in, one indigenous uh, chief uh, have said in the past that they would be okay with pipelines if the, it was refined bitumen rather than oil sands bitumen. That the real issue is that we're shipping that we're shipping this incredibly dirty uh, that, that that it's the type of oil sludge that we're shipping that's the real concern and that if you're finding it in Canada that would keep jobs in Canada and then also. Uh, and then all, and, and then and also mean that we're not shi- we're not sending this sort of sludge through the, th- the pipelines instead of sending regular or, or, or cleaner oil, um, and and their point is that that, that if that, that if if we can do that we can get everyone on side and, and everyone will be happy and it's just ridiculous yeah. and it should be pointed out that post the reason i saw that post Stefan was that it was being shared directly from Elizabeth May's personal account so this is not. Uh, some sort of uh, backbencher. This is not a rumor. This is not something put on them. Elizabeth May herself was promoting this concept. Uh, and I'd like to, I, I have a comment on that, but I'd actually <laughs> like to hear both of your comments on that first. I, I, I on, think on the simple fact that she herself is promoting that this is the way forward. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. It's, I, I would like to hear her exact opinion on it rather than just sort of sharing it. Like I'd like to hear her actually speak on it because she's you know very well spoken. Uh, but to me, it's this takes the this harkens back to I think the, my fundamental fundamental critique of old uh, of, of of old conservative conservative environmentalism, like conservationist environmentalism, where the major thing you had to be concerned about was was that a you know your pristine land might get might get might get, might might be hurt. Rather than the, the rather than the really the new environmentalism, which has this much larger, wider context and an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it so fascinating uh, that there's that there's this whole piece of this that we're that that the Green Party is apparently willing to give up. Like I don't I don't understand how how refining refining oil in Canada does not make it the, the pipelines have a better chance of passing a climate test. That doesn't change anything. No. Well, their their argument and directly from uh, Ms. May's post, and I'll, I'll be happy to link to. Uh, she didn't speak on it, but there was a post with the share, uh, and what was said there uh, was that the primary concern was that uh, essentially it wasn't said, but it was implied. Uh, there's no way we're going to stop all the pipelines, uh, and so the best way forward is to minimize the uh, danger from risks. And there was in her own post, in her own words, where talk was talk about how uh, refined bitumen is uh, much easier to clean up and has uh, like significant significantly lower environmental impacts and essentially essentially the, the argument seemed to be implying that you know we're we're, we're not going to win completely and so we have to get on board with a, a type of win which would be to reduce harm um so just to clarify that i do have a comment but i'll right. I'll, I'll wait for for the rest of for you guys to finish on that um i think it's definitely the green party trying to compromise i know elizabeth may is an incredibly smart woman um but maybe they've gotten to a point where they have to um, look at another side um, but for me yeah I'm also coming from the perspective that 
it's not it's not about the type of oil that's going through the pipeline. Um, it's for me, it's more about the source of that oil. Um, and if it's coming from the oil sands, then it's not really going to help anything because the oil sands themselves are are a huge part of the problem. And if that oil is coming from the oil sands, then that's it's not going to have that much effect um, for me well, anyway. Yeah, what I, what I don't understand about this is the only way this is better, the only way this is better is that if it spills, it will do less harm. <laughs> yeah. That is the only way. It doesn't. None of this reduces the, 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 the carbon being emitted. None of this reduces anything. The only reason it is in any way better is that it is not shipping that kind of... That, 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 like, yeah. that if it spills, it's less dangerous. If, if it spills on Canadian soil, it will be easier to clean up and, and less damaging, yes. Yeah, which, like, at uh, least Canadians will be getting money out yeah. of it. Like, <laughs> and, and to me, that's... That's the least of our concerns. Yeah. That's the least of our concerns. Like the, the the problem with the oil sands is that it fuels a carbon economy uh, that uh, that we cannot be a part of. And if anything, this is building more oil infrastructure. This is building infrastructure to carry on this practice for even longer. And the idea that that need, that's a thing we should focus on is is ludicrous. All right. So just really quickly on this, because we're uh, I want to squeeze one more thing in, and then we'll go to a break real quick. So I have a I have a three dimensional chess analysis, and I have a a complete. <laughs> cynical analysis let's go with cynicism first the cynicism uh, answer is that the uh, green party you know uh, you cannot be both an active you cannot be perfect activist and a perfect politician simultaneously uh, it's like the idea of perfect uh, mercy and justice you cannot be both perfectly just and merciful because mercy is a suspension of justice by definition and i think that activism is a suspension of politics by definition in the same manner so you know elizabeth may has to be a politician first that's her job uh, and her job is to get green people elected not like first and foremost is to get Green Party members elected. That is her primary job. Um, and through that, hopefully, good environmental change will come. So the cynical answer is that this is simply a potentially tactful political move to uh, increase the perceived legitimacy of the Green Party in the eyes of Canadians to further getting Green people elected and therefore have a bigger influence on policy. Uh, what's my three-dimensional chess answer? <laughs> my three-dimensional chess answer is that, and I don't believe this to be true, but it would be hilarious and it's not entirely unfeasible, uh, is that by getting them to agree to this as some sort of like, oh good, you can get the environmentalists off our backs if we agree to this plan, uh, and then there's no way it will ever financially make sense, and this could be like you know tricking them into essentially committing higher Kari. Right. Uh, I think the first one is far more likely, but the second one's uh, impossible. Right. Well, it's, it is true. It, it, like, it, what's interesting about this, of course, is the, all the environment. What's fascinating about this is that the argument against it from all the economists or all the, the oil industry is that it's, it's not financially viable to do this. It doesn't make sense, uh, which is a reasonable response. Uh, you know, it, like, it, was, it was like if you're living in the world, which is what I find interesting, right, is if you're living in a world where, uh, where you're trying to find the cheapest way to, to do this um, – you, like you might as well do it where you already ha- already have you already have some some infrastructure built up, uh, which is part. Of, but at the same time, the same if you're living in a world where finance matters, we've already sort of seen the, 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 the last twenty minutes. We've already talked that oil sands production right now barely makes sense in the first place. And if we succeed in what the Green Party's entire mandate is to do, which is transform ourselves into a low carbon economy, the oil sands will make progressively less sense in the future. Uh, so it's the whole thing is kind of silly. But you, Darren, you wanted to actually get one th- more thing in. So let's throw you. No, no. Well, what I was going to say was uh we're, yeah we're basically we're, we're good for a break now so i was going to say do you want is there was there one more thing you wanted to get to in this section or would you kindly preview the next 
section, and then I will all introduce our music break. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we're good. I think the next section that we're going to cover is all about U.S. politics. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, whether or not Hillary Clinton can run on the strongest climate change platform ever, um, whether or not climate change matter will ever matter in the U.S. politics or in the world generally, uh, and then maybe if we if we have time in the next section, we might also cover climate change denial funding. And if not, we'll be sure to get that in the third section. So at least some part in the rest of the show, we'll get to climate change denial funding. All right. So uh, as you may have noticed, uh, I haven't mentioned uh, our tech yet. That is because we are currently absent tech. I'm hot dogging it over here. Um, <laughs> so with any luck, this is going to be uh, a song that I've been thinking about all week. And, and you know what? I've been thinking about all week um, just because it felt really appropriate. And then, you know, without getting into a topic that's entirely off topic, but I think is hard to completely ignore with the, 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 the terrible news from last night from, uh, from Nice. Uh, I, I just, you know, with lack of another option, I felt like I, I had to play this song. So I think you'll, you'll get why I've chosen it. Uh, and we may or may not come back to that in the bonus show. Uh, but uh, at least you'll know where I'm coming from with this. And with fingers crossed that this will actually play. Hang on one second. That was a half-decent fade for my first try. That was a good fade. You're listening to The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, in studio with Deirdre and Stefan. And uh, we're, of course, a broadcast live on CIUT 89.5 FM as a replay on a whole host of other extremely appreciated, I might add, community radio partners internationally, all across Canada in the U.S. as well. We have international podcast listeners from uh, all over the globe. I was going to say as far away as, but I think we pretty much circled it at this point. Uh, And, of course, uh, our, our local friends here at rabble.ca as well which we very appreciate for helping promote the show as well uh, but now we're going to go back to uh, Stefan who's going to international I, I guess uh, introduce what I guess we could call the international segment of the show yeah sure uh, although we, we have a similar sort of thought on the on the, on the third part of this as well so maybe the rest might all be international we'll see all right. maybe we'll come back but at least it's, we're moving a little, a little south of the border uh, as we often do on this show uh, in part because you know climate politics in the states uh, very strongly impact our, uh, our policy here uh, and then also the fact that you know as one of the largest emitters they're, they're they're kind of important. In the same way that we cover, you know, whenever whenever China or, or any of the other larger industries make make compelling climate change cases, we talk about. You know, if Russia ever does, I'm sure we'll cover that, but I, I don't see that coming anytime soon. Um, although, although actually, if I can frame this section a little bit, um, Russia actually does come into it a little bit. In that, I've I've been this question I've been working through my head a little bit, which is whether climate change can ever become the issue of our time uh, that activists for so long have declared it needs to be. Uh, and and I've been thinking about this, and and then the, the correlate to this is. If if it can't, like if it if if we'll ne- if we're never able to make it salient to the level it needs to be to be the issue of our time, uh, can we still win uh, the battle against climate change without this case? Uh, and so the way this ties in to some extent. So th- th- let me give the premise of why th- why I've been thinking about this is that you know six months ago, maybe se- now seven months ago, uh, the largest climate international climate event, pro- uh, the, you know. I could argue ever uh, occurred in Paris, uh, and we uh, and we had a agreement of 170. I think it's five countries signed on uh, to tackle climate change. And if ever there was a time where everyone was talking about climate change, it was right around that. It was an actual conversation that everyone was a part of. It was mainstream news. It was a conversation we were having. And since then, um, so much has has taken over the conversation. 
uh, you know, there's been all of the, you know, there's like uh, the ongoing national security conversation uh, that exists around 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 terrorism. There has been this the Donald Trump phenomena in the in the United States. Uh, there has been Brexit, uh, the, you know, Britain leaving the EU. Uh, which has, as an aside, we should probably cover that next week about the climate change impacts of that. Uh, it will be, will be, could be enormous. Mm. Um, there has been these, you know, there's now, there's, there now, there's troop buildup on the, on the, on the NATO border with Russia. Uh, like there's all of these stories that, that, that have, have come, that have come up and have dominated the conversation in a way that if you even, if, like if you, the number of things people think of, if you mention, if, like, you know, if you mention climate change now, like it, it, it's 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 been lost, I think, and that happens all the time. It's happened every single time climate change has, has come risen to the fore. Um, you know, or an example of this, which is a story we were going to maybe have to come uh, get to later, but I'm just going to mention it now, is that you know the Deepwater Horizon. There's another story right now about BP getting being charged another two point five billion dollars for what happened in Deepwater Horizon, uh, and again and. Does anyone even remember that? Like it's 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 so it feels so gone, so long gone, so not there. Uh, and so this, and and then you know, and so so all of these things we keep losing and losing and losing. Uh, and I find such an in, uh, interesting question that I have about whether or not uh, climate change can actually become an issue over time. Uh, and, and 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 so the way this ties into American politics is that we've now seen we now roughly know what the what both the Republican and Democratic national uh, what what the platforms brought to the conventions will be. Um, the the Republicans uh, is a little is a little wacky. Can I summarize? Yes, please. They're lunatics. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent summary. Um, yeah, the, the the Republicans have a whole bunch of pieces in it that are just just baffling. Uh, you know, there's uh, they, they they argue that pornography is a public health crisis. In a public it. health crisis. Yes. Yeah. 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 They they say cl- the coal is clean on but clean by definition. Yeah. And let me be let me be clear. Yeah. Let me be clear. They're not saying that we should pursue quote unquote clean coal as in a way to clean the technology to adhere to climate change. They are saying that coal as it exists is clean by definition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like and it, also, water is dry. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Well, Darren, you had a you had a great little pitch to me earlier today about the greatest example as to why uh, as to why coal is provable not clean. And if you want to, even quickly tell that. Oh story. no, no, I forgot what you will have to cue me. The Glasgow. Oh, okay. Yeah, just really quickly. So, uh, uh, if you go to Glasgow, the, the most obvious effect you'll see of this is in Glasgow. I was in Glasgow a number of years ago, and uh, the, super fast. The, the EU had a fund where they go and they clean up uh, certain various cities, and they give a city a bunch of money. And, and a number of years ago, it was Glasgow, uh, and Glasgow is famous as an industrial town, or you know, it was very uh, involved in an industrial town. They're sort of early uh, industrial uh, cities, uh, and was for many many years essentially the entire city is is black. Every building, every surface, everything is black from the coal dust uh, and they started cleaning it but they started at all the main floors uh, and then they ran out of money and so uh, to my knowledge to this day if you go to downtown Glasgow the first story of all the downtown buildings is looks like polished new building and everything above that is still black it looks like somebody went and painted it but no that's that's the contrast between what happens when we burn coal uh, willy nilly and and not it's extremely visible in fact you can probably go to Google Earth right now and do street view and look at it yourself right just drive through Glasgow virtually and see the yeah. see the black yeah. like I love that like that, that's the clean it's clean as long as you want everything to be black. If you yeah. if you want if you want to, if you want soot to cover everything, it's clean. Some people like black. There we go. 
<laughs> um, you know, like it's, but it's one of those things, right? It's, it's one of those. It's it's just these. Coal is the new black. It's like there you go. <laughs> um, it's, it's 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 all of these things are this. How are we having this conversation still? Like, how on earth is that a part of the RNC platform that coal is clean just because we like saying coal is clean? That's not how the world works. At least we hope. Um, but so to move on, uh, and then but then on the flip side, uh, the the Hillary Clinton actually could end up running on the strongest climate change platform ever, um, and it won't be ratified like again, it won't be ratified until until uh, the, until the convention. Um, and climate but climate activists are, are hailing this as a, as a major win, uh, even though at the same time um, Hillary's camp has gone out and said she doesn't support a carbon tax, which is in the platform. Uh, but it does also include a climate test for future pipelines and tighter rules on fracking. And fracking was the big fight. Uh, actually, at the at the DNC, uh, uh, or at the at the at the conv- at the fight over this platform, mm. um, and, and and a lot of this can be attributed, of course, to Bernie Sanders. He actually got a bunch of quite what quite progressive people on actually to to negotiate this platform, uh, and so a lot of the, a lot of these victories actually can be given uh, can be given to him. If if we can actually pause there, I want yeah. I, I need to bring this back to Canada for a minute, which because you know we just had uh, an election a little while ago, of course, and a, a new prime minister, which is you know make no mistake, leaps and bounds better than the one <laughs> we had before. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what we had essentially was people were so terrified of, you know, for a variety of reasons, terrified of Harper that, that we elected a, a supermajority liberal government. Uh, th- and at the time, I was saying, and I will still say now, and I think Bernie Sanders, we have to keep in mind to keep this in the context of the American politics as well with what happened with Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders essentially took the Dem- Democratic Party hostage over his policies. And the reason he was able to do that is because his policies were incredibly popular, including among Republicans. The something like uh, most of most of his key issues have something like seventy or eighty percent approval among all Americans, including Republicans. Uh, so what we need to take a look, lesson from this, just really quickly, is that we need to stop thinking that your choice about what the future of a country or the future of your province or the future of your town is by who you elect. No, you find someone who you think is going to be the most sympathetic to you and you hold them hostage politically uh, <laughs> for the things that are good because on their own, they will never, ever push the envelope. Their, their, their job title requires them not to. They're, they're in a helpless position. Uh, Stefan, you're, the, the story I always prompt you to go back to with the guy whose name I always ask you who it is because I never remember. Keith Stewart. Thank you. I didn't even have to prompt you. You knew exactly what I was getting at. <laughs> about the guy going on about this long conversation with a politician about climate change and he says look this is very convincing but what, I don't have no votes to lose over this what do you want me to do we have to we have to be aggressive you have to and of course I mean politically aggressive uh, you have to be aggressive and go and hold them hostage and say look if you want my vote here's my freaking list of things I want or you can go to hell right this is not a thing and, and Bernie Sanders proved that and for anyone sitting back and being cynical okay well fine well then get out of our way the people that actually want to push for things and actually want to fight for actual progress get out of our way or shut up or join us yeah. Uh, because it is possible, and we just saw it. Uh, the the effect that, uh, that Bernie Sanders had on Hillary Clinton's platform is monstrous. Make no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, I think mean, that's interesting. Right? He, he he very much was fighting this uh, this very interesting. And what's also interesting is that the places he won were places that 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 the Democrats actually were willing to sort of accept. They were they, you know they were. The people that she had under her tent were were more willing to accept the you know. It's interesting is that theoretically Bernie Sanders lost on trade quote unquote and won on on climate change and it's because climate change is one of those things that really like is it's it's creeping it's creeping further and further into what a, a centrist policy is now take climate change into action uh, you know I think we'll slowly start seeing you know and then there's, there's even movements in the states uh, for Republicans who are support climate climate change action mm-hmm. uh, and so we're seeing that the climate change is actually one of those things that actually is moving is is moving across the spectrum to cover the entire thing 
uh, which you see in a lot of you know a lot of it's, it's sort of how progress is made is that slowly but surely uh, you know it starts as a very very left policy and slowly becomes all policy uh, as it's as it wins as it wins uh, across the yeah. board and I, th- I think we should well, well let's come back to it on another show but I think there's a very interesting discussion to be had there about uh, the the amount to which working together across quote unquote party lines uh, is hampered by the attachment people feel to social issues over all else, hmm. right? So, and even I would feel extremely uncomfortable, uh, you know, professing cooperation with a group of, you know, conser- Canadian conservatives who say wanted, you know, action on climate change, uh, but still were like anti-choice and hated gay people. Hmm. Um, I don't know that I could do that. And that's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, what's interesting. Well, and that's what's happening now. I think, especially with the evangelicals and, and Catholics in the States are now become quickly becoming some of the strongest environmental advocates, uh, the evangelicals, because it was a way to actually get young people interested in God, uh, and the Catholics because of the Pope. Uh, but both of them are now actually becoming quite strong environmental advocates, but the way they're trying to do it is still hampered exactly by social issues. Any, any religious organization that wants to go around saying God exists, but we have to do all the hard work. <laughs> I'm totally in support of that. Um, uh, but what's also interesting about about this about the news about the U.S. politics and, and, and climate change uh, is that a lot of, in some senses, uh, that this 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 draft platform that's that's come out uh, sort of codifies the changes that that, that have undertaken in the Ob- by Obama in a second term. Uh, and actually makes it harder for Clinton to sort of backtrack on those on those policies because Obama if he, was very famously uh, saying things like all all of the above energy policy we should just do everything. Uh, but since 2014, in his last two years, he's shifted from that and actually started coming down much harder on on a lot of things. He restricted oil uh, restricted oil drilling off the Atlantic coast and mining in public lands. Uh, and earlier this year, he proposed the carbon fee uh, in the form of ten dollars a barrel on tax on oil. Obviously. It's not huge, but it's these are things that sort of it, even in Obama's term, you've seen them actually change. Uh, and I think in part it's because he was unable to actually get some some really strong legislation passed, and so he's like, "Well, what else can I do?" And has come up with a sort of grab bag of policies to throw together. Uh, he's, but he's gone around doing everything he can through executive action because the Republicans won't let him do anything. Yes, else. straight up, yeah. <laughs> um, and and so when so what does of course lead to is this question of whether or not. Um, uh, uh, but what is is that this new pal- pal- this new platform, if accepted by at the DN- at the Democratic National Convention, um, means that Hillary Clinton will have to have run on this kind of thing, uh, which is which is only it's only good news basically. Uh, it's, it may not work, but it's only, at least it's better news than not having happened happen. All right, so we've only got a couple minutes here left in the last section. Uh, Deirdre, why don't you take it? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to come back with um, the. The point that you started on, Stefan, about whether climate change is going to become an issue of our time, um, and that's because um, I think Darren made a really good point when he said <laughs> when he said um, that po- politicians need to hear from voters, and I think that's difficult with climate change because I think a lot of people care about it, but I think it's always an undercurrent, and I think. At this point, at least, there's always going to be something more pressing that's happening right now, unless um, you're an island nation, which we'll talk about later. Um, <laughs> nice tea. Excellent. Um, but I think the issue is that it's always going to be an undercurrent. And unless we look at every different subject and look at um, the common factors in each subject and climate change is always going to be one of those factors. It's always going to be in every issue that we talk about 
but people aren't looking at that. And unless we start looking at that undercurrent, um, it's never going to be brought to the surface and politicians won't think that the voters care about it. Yeah, I think it, 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 you're, you're, you're very adequately uh, – that's the, sort of the consistently always mentioned as the number one hampering of time change is that it, it needs to be a piece of everything rather than one thing because yeah. it, it touches everything. And you know, perhaps – and I think that's actually the way that it could simultaneously get solved and not become the issue of our time. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, is, if every single department was called you know, Department of Finance and Climate Change, Department <laughs> of Health and Climate Change, Department of this and Climate Change, uh, it, it would never necessarily become the thing that everyone that, that everyone is talking about mm-hmm. but in all of the small ways you would see the transition yeah. that we need required happening uh, unfortunately we still live in a world where you know the the new prime minister of britain just drops the department of climate change entirely uh which is sort of the opposite way we we're going uh and is part of my concern but i think that is i think you're right i think that is perhaps the way we can mm-hmm. you, you can move forward but stefan i'm sure that the that the new prime minister uh who elected someone like good old boris there to <laughs> <laughs> to be the, uh, the, uh, the foreign, uh, the, literally the foreign minister, whatever the whatever the foreign minister is called in Britain. Yeah, the, the, yeah, essentially the the, the head diplomat. Uh, <laughs> I'm surely remove the department because it's silly when you're imbuing uh, concern for climate change through all departments. Oh right, of course. Yes. To give any single department uh, undue focus, <laughs> naturally. Yes, I'm, I'm sure, sure that's what it I'm is. sure that's what it is. Even though the, the person that they put in charge of the environment, I believe, when they entered the energy last uh, as, as, as energy a couple of years ago, the first question they asked us it was. Is climate change real? Uh, but I guess they're asking the question, so that's a win. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna offend probably maybe about forty people here, but uh, I I have a position, and this is slightly ignorant, I admit, but uh, I don't think anyone named Bora should be elected to any office. <laughs> I just uh, I'm, forty people oh, are no. really upset with yeah, me the right forty Borises. <laughs> I, 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 all I remember is the uh, is Rocky and Bullwinkle, and I think the, I think the evil guy's name is Boris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So uh, another good way to get on this show as well is to also be friends with Stefan. This is that's a, true. This is a friend <laughs> or, or family members actually. This is this is my family cousin's and friends. Band. Family and friends of Stefan Hostetter. Yeah. Uh, uh, so this is going to be the so the last music break I didn't mention because I didn't want to tease it before we played it was uh, Selena Williams with uh, Kill Him with Kindness, and this will be uh, Auto Manic. Uh, with uh, Out of Town, as long as I can get it to play. Here we go, fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, in studio with Deirdre and Stefan. And we're also broadcasting on all of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners. If you're not in the Toronto area, you're probably listening to us on one of those. Or on the podcast, which I may add, in case you didn't know, has some additional content. It is sometimes, in fact, I would say is usually about the environment, but not always. Uh, It's really just a chance for us to have a little bit of fun. We play around. Occasionally, there's some colorful language, which is either a promotion or a warning, depending (laughs) on your your age and age. uh, personal tastes, uh, and uh, and we do have a little bit of fun there, just a little extension on the show. So if you're not sick of us by the end of the program every week, please do download the podcast, especially, or if you miss anything. Uh, and of course, you can get show notes and links to all the news stories that we cover, every single one, I might add, because we show our work, Stefan. Yes, we do. Uh, on the website, uh, with every post, agreemajority.ca as well. And uh, can I? is it too early? Can I tease that we're, we're having a, a website update soon? No, no, do it. 
it's dude. Like, it's well, like, this is this is that's your deal, man. Yeah, I know. You're yeah, doing it, all the hard work. That's true, but it's 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 basically done. We can, right. uh, you know, there's a there's a couple of formatting errors in that right now. Uh, as you go down the list of of of, of, contri- of contributors, the end just ends with a gigantic photo of my brother because uh, it hasn't slid it aside. Because I don't have a dip, I don't have a bio beside it. Uh, but beyond that, it's it's uh, it's ready and rocking, ready to go. I will take a picture of Dave over stock images any day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the rest of our team are stock images. <laughs> Dude carrying flashlight. Dude holding reader. Yeah. <laughs> women laughing with salad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of other laughing women, Deirdre, would you kindly lead us in our next section? Um, yeah. Um, as we kind of teased in the last section, um, and as most of you probably know, Pacific Islands and islands in general are those who are, are, are dealing with the brunt of climate change right now. And they're also the ones who are kind of ignored by the rest of the world a lot of the time. Um, but a group of Pacific Island nations has recently um, decided to pioneer um, the world's first treaty to ban fossil fuels. Um, this is um, a group of Pacific Islands um, the, formed in 2013 um, that just had a summit this past week um, just to be uh, clear, you mean the, the group, not the islands. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the islands themselves came together. <laughs> the, the, group, the group of people from, from each the individual yeah. island. Although, too, the islands hung out, that'd be, that'd be kind of terrifying, but also cool. Um, came together um, in what was called the Pacific Islands Development Forum and decided that they were going to plan the first treaty that would not only look to ban fossil fuels, um, across their nations, but um, ensure universal access to clean energy by 2030, which is actually not very far away. Um, so it's a it's a big step for them, um, and it's interesting because obviously they're the ones that um, are going to suffer most if climate change uh, ha- happens as fast as it looks like it's going to. Um, so it kind of it, it might be an indicator of the future um, of what the rest of the world is going to have to do, and it might be a good idea to start now. Um, <laughs> but um, what what was interesting is that um, the the organization used to include um, New Zealand and Australia um, before it was the PIDF, um, but they reformed this group after Australia and New Zealand kind of sabotaged their decision to cut off um, the 1.5 degree uh, increase in temperature. Um, So the group no longer includes New Zealand and Australia and seems to be doing pretty well for themselves. Um, But it seems to be a step in the right direction, and it seems to be a step that the rest of the world should follow, and they want the rest of the world to follow. Um, So we'll see if that happens. Yeah, and I think this this, this is a great example of... You know, those who are being affected are the are 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 the best at being like, hey, this exists. Hello, everyone. Yeah. This is a real thing. This is a thing we should pay attention to. Um, and and those of us who are living blissfully unaware could be like, eh, what do the Pacific Islands know about climate change? Sure, it's affecting them directly, and is like you know to an extent where there are a few islands who will basically be underwater in the next you know like in, in the next. 20, 30 years even, some of the really low-lying islands. Uh, and, and so this kind of action, like, it's, 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 it's fascinating. I think it really shows the sort of um, 
uh, the, the privilege that we have to not pay attention to this right now, right? Like uh, near in Canada and and one meter sea level rise is terrifying, but also doesn't really make doesn't necessarily really feel real to you. Or you're in Florida and one meter sea level is will actually mean the no not the lack of Florida, but you still can avoid pretending that's the mm-hmm. that's actually happening. Uh, it's it, you get this sense of you, you don't have this ability to really see what it what it really is, and it's the, the urgency is uh, the Pacific Islands are so good at consistently actually conveying the urgency uh, because it's really affecting them, and they are the people that we are we are endangering by refusing to do anything. And did anyone did, has anyone tried to explain to the xenophobic Trump types all over the world that uh, if they're scared about immigration, maybe they should prevent other countries from being completely <laughs> submerged underwater? But they're not immigrating yet. Yeah, well, exactly. Yes. That, and that'll be their problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Build a wall around the island, and then that's all you'll have, and well, you'll have a state on an, on a wall. Yeah, well, to be fair, a gigantic wall around the entire United States would simultaneously keep everyone in and the water out. Yes, actually, well, we concede to that. As long as they also keep their military inside that wall, <laughs> they can build a 500-foot wall for all I care. Uh, speaking of their military, what an excellent segue, Darren. <laughs> uh, I don't think he even intentionally did that. Nope. But, uh, but in our ongoing covering, coverage of the Pentagon paying attention to climate change. More than anyone else in the U.S. Ex- exactly. It's the Pacific Islands of the Pentagon. If there are two people who care about climate change, it's the Pentagon and the Pacific Islands. Uh, so they are, again, each, it seems like every, I don't know, like four months, a new article comes out uh, about how the Pentagon is preparing for some different piece of this, uh, of climate change. Uh, you know, for, like, they've they included in their in their security briefings forever. They had an entire, oh, it's, I think that at one point they gave the climate change its own security briefing yeah. because it was so important. Uh, they've started testing these fascinating things like, like, you know, again, everything the Pentagon does still has this kind of dystopian piece to it because they're the <laughs> largest military. So when it's things like, oh, they have a solar power aircraft carrier, you're like, so that's interesting, but also still terrifying. It drops a new kind of solar power <laughs> warhead. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, so Darren, you, uh, you actually read this article uh, a little better than I did. I, so. I read it thoroughly, and uh, one by one, the hairs on the back of my neck started to stand up. So yeah. this is both, the, there's, there's two different angles. You might even say five sides to this story. Oh. <laughs> Um, I'm looking at the picture right now. I can't uh, exactly. <laughs> at least two of the five sides will be brought up now. Uh, excellent. Uh, just to not preclude my own metaphor. Um, so, so one side of it is is the cautionary tale. One of them is the ongoing story, as you just very accurately cued, uh, of the fact that the Pentagon has been ide- identifying climate change as uh, among the top, if not occasionally the top, threat to geopolitical stability and uh, specifically as far as the U.S. is concerned, uh, the, the security of the U.S. and its allies for something on something like 15 years. This is not new news by any means. We've been reporting on it on this show for nearly a decade. Mm. Uh, but it's getting a little bit more intense. So they're... So literally, there's there's millions and millions of dollars being hired by uh, Department of Defense research programs to fund university models uh, around uh, anticipating... Uh, preventing and manipulating large-scale social unrest for the explicit purpose. I am not reading into this, neither is anyone else. This is directly in their language and fully frontally admitted for anyone that cares to read it, uh, that they are anticipating a great amount of international, global social unrest due to the physical impacts of climate change. Uh, So what we're talking about here is basically they think that there's going to be a giant uh, uh, protests and war and violence everywhere because of the impact of climate change. So first of 
of all, take that seriously because yeah. they're not a bunch of hippie liberals. These are, you know, the same people that make their, you know, make their life off war. These are not, these are not hippies. Uh, first of all, the second angle to this is how they're going about doing that. So the first part is the cautionary tale, which is, hey, they're taking it seriously. This is how seriously they're taking it. This is not an exploratory committee. This is not like the... Um, NASA's uh, small sub-program, which is the the SETI program, the Search for Extraterrestrial Life, where, okay, we've got a few bucks lying around. This seems like a cool project. We might as well do it. No, no, no. This is a main focus of the, what the Pentagon is focusing on right now. So the first fact is that they're doing it. The second fact is how they're going about doing it, uh, which is that if anyone read any of the uh, releases from The Intercept or anything like that a little while ago, I'll see if I can dig them up if I remember for the show post. Otherwise, they're out there about the five eyes. And basically what it was was a bunch of uh, countries, including the U.S. and the U.K., uh, sharing security information because they have a bunch of laws. Each of these countries has laws about using their own security international security apparatus against their own citizens so what did they do well they just agreed to share so the u.s spies on the uk the uk spies on the u.s australia spies on each other and then they just share the information circumnavigating (laughs) all of the laws that they themselves wrote uh, to to a large degree. So not only does this include, you say, okay, well, yeah, if there's social unrest, I, I want people to do that because I, I don't want my house being looted and rioted, uh, except that once you start reading more and more into this, the, the, there's, a, there's many, many, many concerning aspects to it. We do not in, by any means have time to get into all of it. So I'd like to highlight one, uh, one or two that really jumped out at me. One of them, uh, and one of the things that was identified in that piece about the, the release about the five eyes and that, and that plan was that the current state is not simply analysis and detect. It is not simply a matter of, you know, what they do with uh, ISIS, where they, you know, they try and track down the Twitter accounts and use the geolocators, because sometimes those stupid people uh, leave their geolocation tags on when they tweet, you know, pro-ISIS stuff, and then they, you know, go and track them down that way. Um, This is a matter of infiltration. And so what they're doing and what they're pretty upfront about, as long as you go and read the actual information about it, uh, is that that what they're doing is they're they're looking for ways to analyze not just where these so the groups and that essentially there's a whole bunch of nonviolent people that support violent people and so what they want is what they're saying is you know there's a bunch of people who support a cause uh, those nonviolent people. Uh, basically whip up the passions of a small group of them who then become violent. And so the way to anticipate these problems is to infiltrate nonviolent groups, identify people who are based on their psychological tests and all their analysis, and they're working with all sorts of mental health people. This is the same sort of stuff that we got into extremely morally questionable stuff when uh, they were using psychologists to greenlight torture programs in the U.S. a few years ago, uh, is to essentially use these psychological tests to try and figure out uh, to the best of their ability you know, who is most likely to become violent and who's most likely not to. And not just to use this information to report it to law enforcement and say, hey, watch out for these people. We may want to keep an eye on these people, uh, but to actually influence the groups covertly from inside. So infiltrate groups like Sierra Club, infiltrate groups like Black Lives Matter, infiltrate groups, any sort of peace, any war, any sort of any sort of actual group, Tea Party groups, could be anybody. Uh, nonviolent people that have not done anything wrong. And before they've done anything wrong, go in and, and use the use the people who they have identified as probably more sympathetic to the nonviolent and use them to actually try and influence them so that they can use their credibility to influence the group and actually influence the outcome of what's going on. So this is this is the very definition of, you know, big brother government, right? And so A, on, on the one hand, there's a legitimate concern in the reason they're doing this and, and we should be concerned about the reason they're doing it because the reason they're doing it is concerning also be extremely concerned about what they're doing (laughs) both of those things matter uh we could easily do a whole show i'd like to stop it there please read the article if there's one article i ask you to read this week uh please read this one i will post it first on the news uh later but uh i've talked for quite some time we only have about four minutes left Uh, squeeze something in Stefan. uh yeah i was going to jump off that uh very briefly and and just the idea that it's also nothing like this sort of idea is not really new 
organizations have been doing this sort of, like the government has been doing this sort of thing for for a very long time. Uh, you know, there was a article, recent article about how you know CSIS when they at some point in time uh, created a violent white extremist group uh, as a part of their plan to sort of again infiltrate this sort of stuff. It's it's the reason why this kind of action is so morally dubious is it gets to a point where the people who have infiltrated the group it becomes questioned whether or not they are the ones actually making the group more radical or not. If, 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 if they are trying, if the people who are in the group are trying to check or test whether or not the group is going to like who will become radicalized, their position in the group is often a a piece where they are they are in some ways radicalizing the group in, in themselves. And so this is the government. This is the government coming into a group which is currently peaceful. Uh, being like, hey, what if we weren't as peaceful? Seeing what happens, and then and then if it does, then they immediately arrest and and and, 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 and arrest the group and and, and disband it, right. even though even though none of like while they themselves were the ones creating this, yeah. Uh, and it's, you see the same thing often in, in in during protests. You know, there's a question of whether or not the protests become violent uh, because the police have infiltrated people and they're the ones who actually start the violence so, to to justify a stronger crackdown by police. Mm-hmm. And all of these little pieces are what makes this, are what make this difficult and and, and, and very very concerning. Is because it you know it comes down to sort of sci-fi trying to pre-crime kind of thing, yep. right? You're trying to stop you're trying to stop crime before it happens. So you're just trying to see who might cause crime. Uh, and and while it's sort of you you hear it and you're like oh well, that makes sense. You want to stop crime before it happens. That's a positive thing. Uh, but when you're actively being inside the group and in, 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 in doing this, it becomes incredibly morally dubious and very very difficult to sort of parse out that is a safe or good idea. Yeah, I mean I, an imperfect analogy might be you know if you well you could say well you know okay people are less inhibited when they've been consuming alcohol and doing hard drugs. Let's say cocaine is illegal, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, to find out who is a potential criminal, aka drug user, in our culture, we should we're going to send police out to go to all sorts of parties and yes. offer people cocaine. Mm-hmm. And you could say, okay, well, if you accept it, then you're breaking the law. Yeah, but would they have been exposed to it? Would they have been pressured into it? Is the simple fact that eventually, under you know, being pestered in a state of you know imperfect decision making, would they have otherwise made that crime? And and that's not a perfect analogy, but it's pretty damn close. And we have laws against that. That's entrapment. Like that's entrapment. And whereas whereas these these other scenarios we're talking about is it, because in part because it's you know it's it's behind the scenes or it's way. All right, so we'll have to leave it right there for the bonus show. We're out of time. If you're enjoying this conversation, we'll keep it going in a couple of minutes. But we are done for this week's edition of the Green Majority. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you so much for listening to our main show. We continue the discussion now in the bonus show as well about a number of other topics, including some some environment stuff and some non-environment stuff. I would say overall we we had a really good time this week, but of course it's uh, some difficult things happening in the world. Uh, so we hope that we can do our part to uh, both inform and, and acknowledge these events while also not letting it drag us down. So we hope you appreciate both the uh, information and the attempt at levity. Uh, as well, just of course, another reminder, as usual, if you can uh, and support us in any way, we would very much appreciate it and very much need your help. Uh, you can become a member of the Green Majority and help support our work for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Enjoy the bonus show. Can we talk about ferrets? Because they're the best. Check, 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 yes. check.
Is, do you have do you have any do you have a news story on ferrets or you just want to talk about story, ferrets? There was a story on. There was there is a news story on ferrets. All right, well, Deirdre wants to talk about ferrets, and Deirdre just gets to decide. So I think I think <laughs> we're talking about ferrets. All right, well, we're live, so Deirdre, talk about ferrets. Are we? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're live. We're, live to recording. Live to recording. That's the that's the closest thing to live that we. I don't know. It's not well, the closest thing to live. We, we go live. There's a whole George Carlin thing about pre-recorded. About what else are you going to record it afterwards? <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Deirdre. Um. Ferrets. Yes, ferrets. Um, and drones. And drones. We're talking about ferrets and drones? Okay, the, the best thing about this article was the title. Um, I don't remember what the title was, but it was something like, Drones are dropping M&Ms full of... Oh, yeah. Dro- the, drones d- to unleash vaccine-laced M&Ms in bid to save endangered ferrets. Yes, which is, yeah. a, is a great Isn't headline. Isn't that the which cutest is probably probably the most like this this article was at actually at the top so the guardian has like a most read for their environment section this one was at the top and i guarantee you it's there for two reasons there's the obvious thing which is about ferrets but second of all also the amount of like keywords that are in that title (laughs) vaccine (laughs) m&ms endangered drones that's like four markets right there or more the pentagon of markets <laughs> nice, well done. Dro- Wait, and I would love to play a word jumble with this. Which, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. So give me time. Laced M and M's, drone vaccine endangered. I don't know. All right, let me well, figure. I will come up with it. I'll come up with a, another title. This could be okay. by the end of this bonus well, show. Well, Stefan is working. Uh, but, but I also want to point out that this is the. I think what's great about this headline is it's not clickbaity, and yet it is makes me want to click it. You know, it's not. <laughs> it doesn't say like, guess what? We're using drones to drop on ferrets. Open now. At the same time, I read like hashtag M and M's. Okay. Don't click here. I am intrigued. Let me see what's going on. But anyways, Deirdre, what on earth is going on in this drones to unleash vaccine-laced M&Ms in a bid to save endangered ferrets story? So there are two things here that I, I think are really cool. Um, one is that drones are being used for a lot of really awesome things um, now. Currently, they're being used for endangered species protection and vaccination. They're being used for really high-resolution maps of... Um, uh, destruction zones. So if a building has collapsed or if there's huge casualty or something, um, they're using these drone maps um, to give firefighters and police um, the best path to survivors, um, which I found out at the Maker Fair last weekend. Um, and they're also using drones for firewatch and wine to measure the amount of chlorophyll in leaves um, to determine the best wine locations and the best vineyards. Um, so drones are, are doing a lot of really cool stuff, and they're no longer only a nuisance to small planes and big jets. And, <laughs> and it's really cool. But the thing that I wanted to talk about was the black-footed ferret and the prairie dog, um, which are the new target of these drone machines um, that are infiltrating our atmospheres. Um, and the black-footed ferret is a, a really endangered species in in North America and has been struggling for the past, I don't know, probably the past uh, 50 years or so. That was totally that was totally a random number, but uh, I think I think that's it. <laughs> um, but they've been uh, they've been suffering from a lot of disease. And so have prairie dogs, which the ferrets actually feed on. Um, so these drones are going around and targeting um, populations of ferrets and prairie dogs um, to stabilize this ecosystem. And it's actually working. There aren't very many ferrets left 
um, in the world. I don't remember what the article said. I think it was under a thousand. Yeah, under a thousand. Uh, so three hundred that were bred from seven. That yeah, were saved in captivity. It's, it's really an incredible story, and it makes you kind of hopeful about the conservation situation we're in right now, um, and how technology can actually help this situation that perhaps technology is hurting. Um, so it's just a really nice story, and what they're doing is they're packaging uh, packaging the vaccine in peanut butter covered M and M's. Um, so the, they're just spreading spreading M and M's for the ferrets and the fairy dogs to eat in this special, specially mechanized, like I, th- I think is like three directional gun type thing to, to reach the most ferrets in the least amount of time. Um, and it's probably the happiest story I've read all week. <laughs> uh, Peanut butter covered M and M's. Yes. There's there's two there's of two hope. things that really jumped out at me about this uh, um, story. Aside from all the obvious stuff, uh, one of one of them. Uh, now I've blanked on what the second one was. The, the, fr- the first one was a question of oh sorry no I remember what it was. One of them was how much uh, do you think Hershey uh, Hershey chocolate company paid for this marketing <laughs> for starters? Uh, how much of this project? I'm actually fine with it. I'm yeah. usually a giant skeptic of corporate whatever, and, and generally I think this is that's a model that we need to get the hell away from. But in the interim, while we're de- dealing with it, uh, I'm completely fine with chocolate companies paying to save endangered species. Yeah. Uh, I think it's great uh, yeah. if they donated the M and M's or something. I, I don't know that they did, and maybe they're. I'm sure they're still terrible. But you know, on this one case, the other thing, just really quickly, was that uh, among all the really interesting things in this article, I'm really confused why the thing they seem to be the most mystified with and the most impressed with that they highlighted repeatedly in a bizarre fashion uh, was that this, among all the other technological advancements, the thing they seemed the most impressed with was that this drone could fire M&Ms at three directions at yeah. once. <laughs> so I don't, they mentioned that like three times. Be yeah. like, that, I can do that. Yeah. Do, yeah. <laughs> That's not interesting. This is... This is the least. In, this is the least technologically advanced part of this article. I yeah. could make something out of matchsticks in about yeah. fifteen seconds. They could fire three M and M's in three different directions. Like, I don't yeah. understand. It was weird. Anyway. And it was it was a weird amount of times. Like everyone should read the article and you count the number too. of times they mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have come up with a with a with an anagram for this for this. Uh, it's not perfect. I had to add one word, uh, two words. I'd add another two and a from. Uh, but I've come up with. Is unleashed ferrets to bid uh, to bid to save M M&M and M laced drones from endangered vaccines. That's that's what I've come up with, uh, mainly because I like the idea of unleashed ferrets. I think that's the uh, that's my favorite part about this. Release the ferrets, exactly. Save the drones. Save the drones. Well, the M M&M and M laced drones, which again they can fire in three directions. So perhaps all of these drones are M M&M and M laced. But are they only saving them because they're M M&M and M laced? Probably. Are they bigots? Well, well, yeah, they're they're ferrets. They're, they're really into M Ms. That's <laughs> Down with the ferret bigots. Talk about something else. <laughs> Uh, so really quickly, uh, another one uh, that I wanted to get to. Um, wh- well, we could do. I, 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 okay, I think it's worth a mention, but really fast. Uh, and maybe, w- yeah, we'll do. We'll have time for one more. But just while you guys are thinking, what what the last one you want to cover is? I so there's an there's an alien weed story here from I, <laughs> IFL. I won't say. Well, you know what? We can't. We're in the bonus show. I fucking love science, which is the name <laughs> of the Facebook group, which is hilarious uh, because it's the most shared and least named in shares group of any name anywhere on Facebook because they have fucking the title. Yeah, uh, but it's still cool. Um, in fact, that might make them slightly more cool. Uh, but the, the idea here, so I'll, I'll let you read it. And I have to spoil it. I do apologize. So actually, as a warning, if you want to have a really good surprise and learn something, uh, pause the podcast here and go read the article first. I'll, I'll give you your, your waiting music. Do, 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 do. Uh, so one that says <laughs> alien weed something something. Anyway, now that we're back. Uh, so 
it was really funny. It's an it's an article about the the uh, the rate at which they noticed and and this is something that which i've not only sensed just sort of instinctively uh, but also am personally guilty of uh which is the prevalence with which people will share things and comment on things without even opening the link much less reading it entire in its entirety and of course so the, the title of the article is is provocative um in fact, in the article, they discuss uh, another article they posted, which was something about I, – I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something about how nobody reads articles. Uh, and the article itself was blank. And it was still got shared – like there was literally nothing in it. It just said like ha-ha or something. And it, it got shared like 8,000 times and had something like 7,500 comments uh, with people arguing back and forth about it. And they show, they show a clip of some of the comments about this article that was literally la- – it had no content. There was nothing in it. It was an empty article with a title and it got shared like 10,000 times or something. Uh, and I think this does impact our – aside from the fact that it's amusing and interesting, uh, I think it does affect our discourse because, uh, uh, you know, as I said privately off the show, and as I'll say now, I've totally been guilty of that. And I don't, I don't know if you guys find that you guys do that too, but – it's just so easy, and 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 uh, I don't know. I, I find it I find it concerning because I think it's it just adds to this continuous echo chamber that Facebook is you know algor- mm. algorithmically designing for us um, of only ever seeing things you want to agree with. Uh, I, I don't know it, comments. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think that's yeah. You, you see that all the time. You see that all the time. Like the number of times in any forum, the question is, did you read the article? Uh, or I think the most one of the most famous ones about this was there was a there was a Reddit uh, a Reddit thread um, for like years ago where someone was basically being like if you check the source code and this blah blah blah, blah and the person's response with the person they're arguing with was like I wrote the source code <laughs> and it was like the person had just like had not even figured out like the like they were arguing with the person about something that they themselves had written or or like and the number of times people will be like what well, obviously author didn't mean that and the person's like uh, I I wrote it. That was me. I did that. I don't know why you're, you're arguing with this. Um, it just proves that people just don't. Yeah, like uh, it, it, to me, it, it it speaks to the value of internet discourse, which mm. is suspect at best. I think uh, you know, like I think there's, I think the internet does a lot of things well, uh, but create, but most internet discourse is awful, mm. and the, everyone recognizes that. Facebook uh, is the worst for that, I find, because... You could have stopped that sentence at the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook is the anti-ferrets. Facebook <laughs> hates ferrets. Um, no, but if I scroll through my Facebook, obviously you're going to find things that you have clicked on before based on Facebook's algorithm and all stuff that you're interested in. But I, that causes a different problem for me because... Um, I'm interested in a lot of things, and so I find myself just clicking on every article because I want to read it before I share it or comment. Um, but then, so I have all these articles open in multiple tabs, and then I'm like, I don't have enough time to read this article. And then I'm like, whatever. I read like the first like sentence, these paragraph or whatever, and then I'm like, yeah, I know everything, and then I share it. Yeah. And sometimes that's not the best thing. Yeah, I but. usually I'm actually don't I will retweet stuff uh on Twitter without fully reading the article mm, if, if yeah. because I'm like if someone I if someone I trust posts it, uh I'm a little more I'm a little more touchy on Facebook or videos and something like that in part because I'm like if halfway through this thing it becomes incredibly offensive. <laughs> yeah. I do not want to be tied to this. Like like I don't know where it goes. I like a part, that's my concern every time. Is like if if somewhere near the end of this they just go on a weird tangent. I I do not want to be I do not want to be uh the one who shared this without without reading it. Uh so I'm pretty good at reading most of the stuff that I actually share. Uh but but not on Twitter. So much on Twitter I'll just I'll just retweet ahead for headlines. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems like oh this seems like a, part of the discourse screw it. There we go. Yeah. And it's uh, not, and so many 
many people. It's extremely common uh, for people to have you know retweets do not necessarily I mean endorsements. Uh, mean endorsement. yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I just I don't even know why people bother writing that. I think that anyway. should be implied. Yeah, that should be like the subtitle: Twitter retweets do not necessarily <laughs> constitute endorsements. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there's there was one more thing, um, maybe, and I'm going to pause here in case we decide not to do it. Yeah. This will be my place to cut it off. Yeah. Uh, so, Stefan, you shared, uh, and if that's the case, we'll come back to oh, it. Oh, this article. Time. You shared uh, uh, the an open letter on identity politics. And yeah, this has I nothing did. to do with it, but I, I read it in its entirety first thing this morning yeah. before any environment news. Uh, and I had a brief comment because last week I was going to tell a story right. on the bonus show, yeah, yeah. and then and then we agreed that it was maybe not the time and place for that. Uh, I, I believe it's still not the time and place right. for that. Uh, but it, because it was on my mind, I think it's worth at least having a brief mention on this, which was, uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's also worth a read. Uh, it's, it's, it will confront some people a little bit in a little bit of a harsh way, but I don't think unduly harshly. Yeah, I yeah. think, I think it will just, uh, I find get it, people's attention a little bit. What I, what I find fascinating is, is, is the harsh reaction it's received. To yeah. be honest, yeah. to me when I read it, I was sort of like so the article itself. So I can unless you want to tease the article itself, do you want me to do that? You no, no, by all means. Go uh, the article itself is really just a it's a it's a piece written by uh, basically being like, hey, progressives, uh, you can, if you, if all you talk about is uh, if you act as if capitalism is the only thing worth it, that we're fighting, uh, you are uh, you are marginalizing the voices of others already marginalized, uh, and that a lot of left wing spaces aren't nearly as safe as we as we pretend that they are uh, for for women for for people of color uh for 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 queer people uh you know for anyone in uh, anyone who identifies as lgbtq 2s uh and the rest of the, the the letters um all of these things basically it's like basically it's like identity politics matters is the whole point the thing is that like that that when you silence these people because they you know or when you attack these people uh as because their things don't matter you're feeding into a larger system and it's not and you have to respect that that exists um and and that capitalism isn't the only thing you're fighting uh, but it got and it, it, it's it like I even posted it and I just got a comment about someone being like a counterpoint and reported post I'm like, it's not like how do you need a counterpoint to yeah, this? The second line in here is you know people's rights are not a debate. Yeah, like no. you, this, I think that was another example of somebody commenting without reading. Like quite what, possibly. No, no, no. This is literally the, the, the article that they posted is that that this article where is a Twitter beef and that's all, which is literally someone who doesn't have a avatar. It's a five minute lift about a five minute a read on on face on on. Mediums I haven't read yet, which is literally just like this, uh, like this person. Like again, I don't care where this article came from. The article is making an important point that people need to understand, and so and so the fact that also the fact that like the person who commented is a white dude, uh, like to, to on my thing is like oh, like you're proving the goddamn point. It's the same reason you know it's the same thing about all these other times that people got you know all these other different fights you've seen in you know even like the Bernie Sanders uh, like occasionally when when the Black Matter protest interrupted him and they got shouted down and what like you know he was very respectful but some of the supporters were not. It's like these are the things to talk about like if you want to be a progressive movement you have to you have to live those values all the time and that's it that's the point which is it's just it's it's such a minor thing uh like it's like not minor like it's a huge thing but it's like it's 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 expecting what should be expected of all people and that's it i don't understand why it caused such a kerfuffle yeah and so I have um, I have two quick comments on on this as well one 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 personal and one very extrospective and then uh, maybe Deirdre will will grace us with some cl- final comments final thoughts on this to round out our bonus show one of the, so starting with the the personal uh, something that you know I don't make an issue of on the show because I don't per- partially because I don't think it's it's relevant but also um, just because. 
it's a complication that I don't need uh, is the fact that I don't necessarily refer to myself as queer on the show, but I am uh, in, a, in a variety of ways. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to get into details just because it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but the, the, what does matter and the reason I'm mentioning it now uh, is because of why I don't mention it. It's because it's, it will open up another line of attack for people to disregard what I have to say, what anyone else on the show has to say, and an easy way to dismiss me and, and my arguments. Uh, and that is shameful and sometimes i i wish that it uh, you know it, sometimes i think that it's a courage thing and i should just be less hiding about that but the, the simple reality is we have a fight to fight and it's a distraction and i've made a strategic decision to do that uh now how does this become extra well there's two ways it becomes extra one is i have the courtesy of choosing to share this information a, a privilege that uh people of color uh and and other groups however they wish to be identified uh do not have so this is the further privilege, even though I'm technically in one of the, the, the groups, you know, that would is is not getting an advantage. I do have the at least advantage of, uh, uh, you know, being able to if I choose to present uh, as straight and cis um, and that is an option. And that's an option I frequently go with because it makes my life easier. And that's shitty. Yeah. Uh, but second of all, as far as how it relates to the extra, uh, we need to shut the hell up about speaking for other people. You know, I'm, I will happily speak for, uh, you know, myself, uh, and to a certain degree can, you know, can be representative of, uh, white quote unquote males. Um, but I have no right whatsoever to speak for indigenous people. I have no right whatsoever to speak for people of color. And I have no right to speak ahead of them, considering 99.999% of people expressing opinions anywhere in the media or on social media or that anyone listens to at all and doesn't get immediately, uh, you know, Twitter ganged on or whatever, uh, is people who share similar, similar positions from similar points of view and from similar places in their, in their life, whether that be from their sexual identity or their perceived uh, gender alignment or their or their you know, race or color or gender or, or any of these other things. So, um, yeah. So when I mean, my, my thought was that, you know, we read the article, um, st- don't immediately jump comment back halfway <laughs> through, read the whole damn thing and think about it for a minute. You know, you have a right to speak and your opinion is valuable, but you do not have a right to speak for others. Um, and we have no right on this pos- position on this show to speak for first nations people. Uh, we have no right to speak for anyone other than our own selves. Uh, and I think it's really important to be mindful of the fact that, uh, while we may consider, you know, other people our allies, that does not mean that we share their opinions and, uh, we need to find out what their opinions are, let them speak them. Uh, and let them share their own truth and their own their own reality. And uh, if we're if we're really going to be the, I think the conclusion of this article and the, the one that I wholeheartedly agree with more than anything else uh, is the idea that if we're actually going to be the progressive movement we claim to be, we have to stop being the embodiment quietly of all the terrible things we claim to be against, which is shutting up everybody who isn't a you know appear to be a straight white man. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you actually haven't read the article but any final thoughts um, yeah oh, well I, I agree with Darren um, I don't think we have any right to speak for anyone else and I think that as long as it makes a difference um, what a person's preferences are um, in any sense um, then we do not live in an equal society um, and in, in that sense like on that front I think uh, platforms like Medium are really powerful because people can post anonymously, and that gives that gives a lot of people more power. Because when you're reading, you're reading in your own voice, um, or at least like a projected version of yourself, um, and that is something that really makes a difference. So if you're a white white man, I think you automatically assume in a lot of cases that the author is like you, um, and I think that 
can actually help in anonymous platforms like Medium because it gives minorities a platform in which they're treated as equals. Um, and that's not that common in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and it's 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 fascinating, right? It, it, it's, I guess I guess what honestly, in part, is interesting about this is that anonymous conversations are so constantly seen as mm. terrible. But at least it's terrible to everyone equally. Yeah. <laughs> whereas whereas things whereas things like Twitter or or things where you're more connected to, yeah. to your personal, it's terrible in very specific types of attacks, um, which is the lowest bar you can set for anything. <laughs> is that we're going to be awful <laughs> equally to everyone? Um, but uh, but is a thing. I guess. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, Darren, you want to close this up? Yeah. My concluding thought is, uh, yes, everyone has a right to their opinion and everyone <laughs> deserves to be heard. And yes, that includes, uh, you know, male-identified, straight, white, cis men. But guess what? You've already been heard. So shut the hell up, sit down, and let someone else have the microphone for five seconds. Uh, and that's it. That's where we're going to end it. Have a good, folk, uh, good week, folks, and we'll see everybody next week. 